Welcome to Brand Appeal, where we talk about brand storytelling in the digital age. I'm your host, Shannon Peel, and today I talked with Alistair, a brand storyteller out of Ireland who works with consultants to help them get noticed in the marketplace. Listener, I love talking to people who are working in the same area that I am working in because it gives you some deeper conversation and some more ideas about how you can tell your brand story to the marketplace and get noticed. Now, if that is what you want, keep listening because Alistair gives us a lot of information. Alistair, thank you so much for joining me today on Brand Appeal. And I have one question for you. What would you like to be known for? I would like to be known for helping invisible experts remove their cloak of invisibility so that they can become known to other people. Ooh, I love that. We do similar things. This is awesome. I love it. That's why I wanted to talk to you. (laughs) I love it because I love talking to people who do similar things that I do. Let's talk about how we get people to stand out create the following that they need to create by telling their story. What types of people do you help? Like what's your ideal client base? My ideal client is an independent consultant of some type. So quite often it's a management consultant, but it's, it's usually somebody who is an expert in their field. Sometimes it's like small consulting firms, boutique consulting firms, sometimes they call themselves, but typically it's independence and they know that there's something that they can do and Typically, their business is totally based, their business development is totally based around referrals and word of mouth. That's a dangerous thing to depend on. And it's it's kind of hard to make work. And some people have really good systems for it, but it, it's hard to kind of systematize that. They're looking for another way. They're looking for a way usually to do like some kind of online marketing. And maybe they've even dabbled with things like Facebook ads and things like that. But that whole thing is a mess as well and very expensive. Oh yeah. I was just fighting with Facebook and I said, why am I boosting this post? I don't want to boost this post. I don't like Facebook. Facebook is not a friendly medium to utilize right now. I don't know what's going on with it, but every time I try to do something, there's a problem. It's a company that, you know, a lot of people have moral dilemmas about ethics with as well. You know, do you really want to be given to be supporting a company that is helping with misinformation and all of that whole thing that, you know, we don't really want to get into, but you know, there's, we want to move away from things like that. And so what are the options for people who are experts? That's, that's really Mm -hmm. what I was interested in. I don't know about you, but I think social media is a mature industry. And when an industry becomes so saturated with people trying to get attention, it loses its impact. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And and like I'm not a social media guru and uh, and even the word, word guru is kind of loaded. A lot of people who want to promote themselves, they don't want to actually promote themselves, but they, they want to get themselves out there, which is kind of a like this this phrase, you know, that has all sorts of different meanings. Um, they want to get their ideas in front of people. And they're looking for a way to do that, blowing their own trumpet, as some people call it. They don't want to be overly self-promotional. A lot of people I work with, they just want to put their ideas in front of other people and have ideal clients put their hands up and say, hey, yeah, I'd like to to work with you based on the thinking that you've demonstrated for us, because that's what you need to do is you need to demonstrate your thinking. You need to, some people call it thought leadership, some people call it authority building content, whatever phrase you use for it. 
we, what we need to do is we need to show our credibility mm -hmm. and we need to demonstrate our expertise in a way that starts to build trust because that's really what it's all about. It's about building trust in the mind of the potential client. You're right. It is all about building trust. And we intrinsically trust people that we see a connection with, that we feel are like us. And if all you have is your photo, you're not going to be able to really connect with a lot of people. Your ability to connect with your marketplace is going to be really small. So that's why the story is so important, because no matter what color your skin is, if you're telling your story properly, I'm going to find something that I resonates with me and I will trust you because I will see you as like me, regardless mm -hmm. of what your color of your skin is. We need to start focusing more on the things that make us the same and less on the things that make us different. And I think storytelling is a big piece of how we can do that. Now, how do you help your clients get noticed? Because when we've kind of put the kibosh on Facebook, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah where do yeah, so, you go to get noticed in terms of actual platforms i think that you should use the platform that you're comfortable with mm -hmm. and if you like the platform you're comfortable there then it doesn't really matter which one it is you you probably will find your people on there like there are plenty of ceos on facebook you know mm -hmm. there's probably more of them on linkedin and spending more time on linkedin but i'm sure that there's plenty of them on facebook too I'm sure there's even a lot of CEOs on, on TikTok, for example, mm -hmm. if you can create the kind of content and you love creating TikTok content. It's not for me, but it might be for you. I only recently started using Instagram. You know, that that's only something that I started committing to about three or four months ago. I know that I, we could have built all of the social media presence on Instagram. There's plenty of people on there. Mm -hmm. I, th I think that the specific platform that you choose doesn't really matter all that much so long as it's somewhere that you can consistently create content. And, and I think that the consistency is one of the biggest things because when people see that consistency, when people see that long-term consistency and they see a body of work, that really is it for me is what it's about. It's about creating this body of work. That's like the pedestal that you're standing on. That's the pedestal you're building for yourself that lifts you above the crowd. You're standing on top of your body of work. And if your body of work is only small, then you're not going to be much above the rest of the crowd. And if you have been doing that for a long time and, and the content that you're creating is relevant and it's authority building, it, it's relevant to the audience. It's not all me, 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 mm -hmm. which is unfortunately what a lot of businesses do is they they focus on the the, the we content yes. and they don't focus on the you content. But if you focus on your clients and your your uh, your clients' problems in your content, then they'll see that it'll resonate with them. And they'll look back through all of the work that you've created and, and they'll see that that's relevant for them too. And, and that will make you stand out. It's about showing your story, not telling your story. Yeah. So the show not tell thing is really interesting. So the storytelling thing is a little bit more difficult for me, I think, just because the way my brain works. I'm a former software engineer. Okay. And our brains work in a, in a very specific way, <laughs> and, and which means that we probably uh, relate better to computers than to people. So, so storytelling comes really naturally to some people mm -hmm. and other people have to work on it. People like me, there are things like templates and frameworks and things that you can use to, to help with that. Yeah. The way that I tell a story is... Well, first of all, I'm happy to talk about my own story and, and the struggles I went through because I think it's the same struggles that the people who I'm helping went through because that's what a lot of us do is, yeah. is we help people who are just a little bit further back on the ladder than we are. 
it doesn't mean we're at the top of the ladder. It just means that we're a little bit further than some other people. And so we're helping people up. So I do, I I, I talk about, you know, the struggles that I personally had um, in particular around specialization, which I think is a really key step. Oh, that's so hard. Yeah, so we, can dig in, we can dig a bit into that, like, because I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone about specialization. I think it's really, really super important. What was your process when you were deciding what to specialize in? Because, I mean, digital marketing, marketing specifically, is a huge umbrella. And yeah. there is so many different spokes and so many different uh, links and things that you can do. What was the process? How did you figure out what you wanted to be known for? What I'll say is that the way that I did it is not the way that I would recommend other people do it. Mm-hmm. And the way that I did it, I took about five years to do it, uh, maybe yeah. six years. <laughs> and I would recommend that you do it a lot quicker than that. I wish that I had understood the value and importance of specialization a lot earlier in my business. I've been in business 15 years now. And that was one of the things that took me a long time to realize. And even when I realized the importance of it, it took me a long time to implement it as well. I, I want to just take a, a step back for a minute and to, just to, to talk about the importance of specialization. The goal of everything that we're doing is to build trust. Yes. And the reason that we need to build trust is because usually we're selling an expert service, a, a consulting type service, which is usually intangible and invisible. And so what that means is that it's hard for people to see what we're doing. And so we need to build more trust than like if somebody wants to buy a pair of shoes or a, or a laptop, they can pick it up, they can look at it, they can see the build quality, all of those things. With with expert professional services, it's different. It's intangible, it's invisible. Usually it's transformative as well, mm-hmm. um, which means it, it has a big impact, which means it's high risk. And quite often it's it's high ticket, it's, it's expensive as well. So when you combine all these things of being expensive and high ticket and transformative and high risk, the barrier, the, the entry point for trust, it needs to be massive before somebody will, will take the step of working with you. And that's why referrals are so important because referrals pass trust. Mm-hmm. And if we want to substitute for referrals, if we want to put something else in there, um, which is authority building content, usually this body of work I was talking about, taught leadership content. If we want to do that, it, it has to create a lot of trust because it, it needs to match up with the same amount of trust that a personal word of mouth referral is going to give. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, that's where the hard part comes because creating authoritative content is very difficult if you're not focused. The, the name of my podcast is called The Recognized Authority. Okay. And that phrase is the recognized authority in their field and the in their field, in your field, in his field, in her field. That's the important part, because if you don't have a field, if you have a niche down, then you can't be an authority because you're trying to focus on too much. And and I know this because this was the mistake I was making. I was trying to write blog posts and I was trying to plan a podcast uh, six or seven years ago. The blog posts that I was writing, and I love writing blog posts, but they were terrible. They were, they, they, I like to say they were, they were like wallpaper paste. Well, they, they had all the consistency and, and, and blandness of wallpaper paste, but none of the stickiness. And <laughs> because at the time I was doing digital marketing, my, my business was, was called Website Doctor. And I was trying to be a, an expert in websites, which was way too broad. And some of my customers, to give examples, one was a retirement planning company. One was a mining company. One was an e-commerce company that that sold women's clothes. Um, One was a a magician for children's birthday parties. Uh, One was a business that built custom furniture for hotels and restaurants. And if you're trying to write a blog post that gives all of those businesses advice about their marketing, I mean, if it's so generic, it's, it's completely useless. And that was the problem that I I was facing. Eventually, I realized I needed to specialize in niche down. That's hard. I'm not even there yet. Not even close. 
I have focused my business more and more and more, but I haven't niched down to a specific industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trying to be seen as a brand storytelling expert. That is a broad topic because really yeah. it's just the 21st century word for marketing. What, what I would say, and I, I've talked to a lot of people about specialization over, over the last couple of years, and it, it is a really scary thing to do because the process of specialization and niching down is the process of picking your field. What we're doing is we're going from the ocean to a small pond. And there are huge advantages in doing that, but also we're turning away opportunity. We're turning away the vast majority of opportunity in order to say a bigger yes to this very small opportunity. But that very small opportunity is still usually plenty for us. And the problem comes in with our subconscious brain and our um, our crocodile lizard brain that's in the back of our head because it is terrified of this concept. Yes. And it is pulling back on those reins and it's saying, do not do, do not do this, this, this. And it's just, it, it's telling you that it's wrong. And a- anybody who has ever specialized, uh, you know, consciously, mm-hmm. some people just naturally get to it and it works for them. Um, but people who have to make a conscious specialization decision, they'll tell you, yeah, it's, it's really, you know, it's it, getting past the fear is the biggest thing because the fear is going to hold you back from, from doing it in the first place. Yeah. The fear is going to cause you not to niche down enough. And then the fear is going to tell you as soon as you make a decision on it, it's going to tell you that it's the wrong one like guaranteed. That's the, the the really difficult thing about it. It's because it it's going to do that. And I, I think it's terrible what our brains do to us sometimes because they're stopping us from doing something which is incredibly valuable. And uh, and that's the hard hard part. But if you can get past all of that fear, and, and I actually visualize this as a mountain range, and I think that people should get some help with this because you need some external perspective on it. Like you yes. need a guide. I'm a coach, so that sounds a little bit self-serving, but even if you can get help from a group of peers, a mastermind, somebody else who's in business, just get somebody external to, to talk to you about your positioning or specialization. That will really help because they can help you push through those fears. And that was the, the mistake that I made for a long time is I didn't get help with it. And I was trying to do it all on my own. And I realized after, I think, two years, I realized, hey, I need to get help with this because I'm just I'm not moving forward with it. And eventually I did get help and it took me another year and a half probably to specialize. But then once I made that decision, it, it it unlocks a whole like it's a key that unlocks a whole group of other things. Like you can see, I'm very passionate about it because I really believe in this idea. It opens up a whole world because your competition you're you're usually in a field of one like you don't have any direct competition but if you've niched, niched down enough you you have people who are doing similar things but they're not directly in competition with you and in fact i i have had on my podcast I have had a lot of people who work in a very similar field to me. So I usually invite them all on my podcast to talk to them and learn from them. That's what I do. I love it. I absolutely love it when I have brand storytellers on here because the information that we can talk about and the the deeper dive that we can do on those ideas is great because we're working off of each other. I know what it's like. You know what it's like to be a solopreneur, to be on your own, to be unsure, to have self-doubt putting together all of these posts for social media to promote the latest issue of appealing. And I had one that like, okay. So I got these pictures of these dogs that were dressed up kind of cute. And it was like, don't open up appealing if, and the dog's sitting there reading a newspaper, right? Don't open up appealing if, uh, and the dog's on the beach. If the hardest thing you work on is your tan. The next image is the dog <laughs> on a surfboard. If you skip work to go to catch some waves. And then the next one is the dog, you know, in a at the spa, right? And it's like, if you want to be a Beverly Hills house spouse, 
And then the last one is, hey, did someone say squirrel? (laughs) (laughs) Like, do not open this up if this if this describes you. And then because the last one was appealing is for smart dogs who want to create an appealing life, career or business. And the whole time I'm thinking, okay, where can I post this? I know I can post this on Facebook, but are people going to say that I'm trying, that it has not applicable to appealing and I'm trying to get likes because it's dogs? And will that reflect badly on my brand? You know, the ad is cute. The mm-hmm. ad says this is who it's for and this is who it's not for. But I have this all this self-doubt about whether or not I should even utilize it. Yeah. And if I had a team, we could sit down and we could brainstorm and we'd be like, yeah, that's a great idea. This is what we're going to go with. How do you deal with that lack? Because you were talking about the fact that you tried to do it all on your own. Just like me, doing it all on your own. And the idea of asking for help is very difficult for some people like me. Mm -hmm. I I have a couple of different support systems. First off, I have a podcast. Mm -hmm. And just like you, that means I talk to a lot of different people. And usually at the end of my podcast, before the guest goes, if they hang around for another three or four minutes, well, I'll be asking them all the questions I want to ask them. I'll be asking them while we're live, while the tape's rolling. But quite often I will show them and, and I'll validate my ideas against my guest at the end. I'll say, hey, do you have a minute to have a look at something for me? I just want to see what you think of this. If there's anything you disagree with or you think needs to be added. And like I have a framework that I'm working on called the authority maturity model. I've shown that to some really um, like high powered guests like Marcus Sheridan and Mark Schaefer and other wow. people, Alan Weiss, people like that. And I've gotten their feedback on it. And it's been really valuable. And so creating this framework, this maturity model, I know now, like I have validated this with some people and I know that this is pretty good. Like this is, this is, has now been tested. And so that, that's something that I do is, is I, I use my podcast guests and, and actually I'm, I'm, it's going to be the base of a book that I'm writing, um, which I think is another part of like that authority content that we should ultimately be, be striving for because it's a book is, is so like even the phrase, she wrote the book on it, you know, yeah. that, that phrase uh, it's, it's like the defining uh, authority part, like even the word author is an authority. So I think that books are really important. And so that's something that I'm working towards having people validate and look at your stuff. I also have a former business partner who okay. I'm great friends with. And so we're kind of like business buddies. So we, we get on call probably once every two weeks and we, we, we do peer peer reviews of each other's work and support. Actually, I've just started a mastermind that's going to be actually it's, it's starting in eight days from now. Um, and it's going to be a group mastermind. There's going to be six people in that. I'm going to be, be, um, adminning that and seeing that, that mastermind. Okay. And so that's like group coaching slash mastermind. I, I love the, I love those groups because when you get really smart people who are slightly different, you need a bit of diversity, yeah. but when they have similar problems and they're coming from different perspectives, you usually get, get great ideas and that kind of peer support it's, it's really valuable. So, um, so yeah, so, and there are all sorts of masterminds out there. There's, there's paid masterminds run by people. There's free mastermind groups run by volunteers. There are, um, you know, there's online forums. There's, there's a lot of different ways, but I think the important thing is to get somebody else talking to you about your business, just finding that support, because I think that's like, that's as solo business owners, I think that's really crucial. And then the other thing And a lot of people will push back on this. And I did for a long time 
but I think you have to get an assistant. I think everybody needs yes. to get themselves a, a VA or a PA or an EA or whatever oh, you call I it. Oh, I wish, I yeah. wish, I wish. You know, even, even if it's only one day a week, but to take care of, we shouldn't be doing, as, as independent consultants, we shouldn't be doing our bookkeeping ourselves. And, yeah, bookkeeping. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to be doing that? <laughs> yeah. I'm so um, far behind on that. Don't tell Revenue Canada, please. <laughs> I'm sure they already know. So, so editor, please take out the last 30 seconds of this. Editor, yeah. I'm yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. I'm everything, man. Well, the thing is, right. is right now, I only have one small, tiny client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I'm focused on building an authority site platform mm -hmm. where other people right. can come to get noticed. And I'm still trying to figure out how to monetize this sucker. I, I would I I do have some some suggestions for you if you don't mind my input. The the suggestion is uh, put out an offer to take on free coaching clients because if you if you don't have enough clients on board yet, start working with other people just getting experience. I don't have the problem of not enough experience or not mm, enough right. Okay. People. Yeah. My problem is well, let me just put it this way: for the last three months, for hundred days, I did a hundred podcasts in a hundred days. That's incredible. And. Yeah. I've done 70 up. podcasts in a year and that's, yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah, so I did a hundred in a hundred days. And in the yeah. end, I rounded it. I brought it all together in a 167 page magazine. So I'm busy creating this. Plus I've got all the SEO to do and all the blog posts to do and yeah. everything to build this authority site now, there's other things that happen, like while I was podcasting, someone offered me a job and I took it and I let go a bunch of clients because I'm like, great, I've got a job. Right, I yeah. don't need the clients. I can just do this. And then when I'm not working for them, I can work on my stuff. Well, <clears throat> there's certain people I cannot work with due to my history and my personality. So do you still have a job? No, God, no. <laughs> I find that when I get into these situations with bosses that aren't good leaders, aren't good communicators, I make snap decisions that to do something and I follow through on it, which then re results in my going out the door. Yeah, I get, you know, I, I completely get you because I, I wasn't fired from my last job uh, 15 years ago, but I should have been. I was just smart enough not to get fired. Like this whole 100 and 100 days was a mm -hmm. brain burp of an idea. And because I go so fast, it's like, oh, hey, look, everybody, this is what I, this is what I decided to do. Boom. And it's like, oh, shit, I got to do this because I put it out there. And I know nobody cares. I know nobody gives, uh, no one gives a shit if I complete this or not. Yeah. I mean, but I, I, I disagree with that a little bit because there, there probably is somebody out there and there probably are several people out there who go, you know what? I really resonate with this. I I went through something similar. I, I think that anytime you start putting stuff out, you start getting people who really, really start to become your fans and follow you um, just because they, they resonate with some part of that story. And like you said, it's your story, you know? Well, I hope so. But like I said, I'm pretty sure that if I didn't make the 100 in 100 days, although I did today, woot, woot, I'm pretty sure if I hadn't, nobody would have cared. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever like stopped being on social media? Yeah, I go through phases like that, but um, I, I don't really use it as social media. Like I, I use it like I'm a creator almost entirely for business now. 
like I've been on Twitter since day one of Twitter and I used to love it and it's just going more and more downhill and it's harder it, to find yeah. content that like one of the things that I get a DM about a lot is wow what great content it's like okay if you think that's good content the bar is really low yeah but the bar is really low because there's so many people creating so much crap out there you mm -hmm. know, the problem is, and, and I know that people try and police content and say, you know, I, I, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you shouldn't put stuff out until it's good. The problem is everybody has to start somewhere. Yeah. And so like, um, I, I, I saw a quote from Mr. Beast, who's the, the YouTube guy, who's the, the biggest YouTube guy now. I saw a quote from him, which was advice for people who want to start a YouTube channel. He said, you know, go create a hundred YouTube videos and they're all going to be terrible and, and almost nobody's going to watch them. Yeah. But every time you make a video, they're going to be a little bit better and a little bit better. And after a year, a year and a half, two years, you're going to be pretty good. And you keep doing that. He said, and if you don't want to do that, don't do it. That's okay. You don't have to. If you want to get to where you're really successful on YouTube, that's what you've got to do. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with blog posts. It's the same with podcasts. It's the same with everything. Mm -hmm. You've got to just start. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter how many books you read. Unless you get in a swimming pool or get in and see you're never going to learn to swim from a book. You know, you have to actually start doing it. And, well, and I think that's what this is like as well. I think you're right. Cause it's all about figuring it out. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I talk about a lot because I was the parent that didn't do things for their child. It was you figure it out. And my mm -hmm. kids were doing things like grocery shopping at the age of 12 by themselves with my credit card. <laughs> cool. yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Because it was a slow process. It's not like they turned 12 and I gave them my credit card and said, go, go do the grocery shopping. Yeah. There, there was a process, but the process started when they were really little mm. and they were given a job within the process of grocery shopping or shopping that they were capable of doing. So at first it was take the stuff out of the cart and put it on the the counter the counter that moves Tread, treadmill I don't know yeah something <laughs> so anyway put it on there so yeah. it was their first job and then their job was to pick help me pick food help me pick mm. which what are we going to get and then yeah. it would be okay go get go get this and you go get this and you go get this and then it was here's my card you pay for it so by the time mm. they were 12 I could give them my card and say go get groceries because the grocery store was at the end of the block and I was a single mom working from home with 300 accounts that I was responsible for. So I needed my kids to be self-sufficient and they figured this stuff out. Like you may be thinking, okay, well, Shannon, you showed them and you got, I guided them through it, but I didn't criticize them. I didn't tell them what to do beyond take the groceries out of the cart. It, it sounds very much like a coaching approach to, you know, like a business coaching approach. Yeah. Yeah. I took a coaching approach. I took a leadership approach to, um, mm. to, parenting. to parenting. Yeah. One of the things I did uh, was, it was funny because I was talking to somebody and my son, you know, you, the one thing about being that kind of parent is it gives your children a lot of freedom to screw up. <laughs> And to go out and yeah. make a lot of bad decisions and make choices that break your heart that are go against what you want for your for yeah. yourself and for your family and all of that. But in the end, 
you end up with very self-sufficient, reliant, independent, responsible children who are adults that work hard. I remember when I first told people that I made my son responsible for my daughter's happiness and my daughter responsible for my son's happiness. And they were like, why would you do that? You shouldn't make them responsible for each other's happiness. That's terrible. Well, I have kids that barely fought. And if they did fight, it was like, okay, you guys can fight, but first it's love and hugs. <laughs> gotta say, I love you and got a hug. Then you can fight as much as you want. Now that worked when they were really little. It gets to a point where they're like, mom, and then it's the two of them against you. So it's still they're not fighting. <laughs> no, they're still happy. <laughs> you know, like my kids yeah. are best friends. We could put them in a car and they would laugh for 15 hours. And yes, we would drive for 15 hours. And there was not one, mom, she touched me, mom, she crossed the line, mom, not one. Not no. even, on, not an even, are we there yet? <laughs> Everyone thought my children were aliens, to tell you the honest truth. So well, there I, is I something I, to being a coach and taking a coaching yeah. approach. To... I, I think I like that. I think I like that. I think that I would like if more parents were like that because, yeah, I think, I think those kids, those kids will be good adults from what you've said. Well, my son said, mom, I hope I'm a, I want to be an adult. I want to be a parent like you. Yeah. But you know, it's not all, it's not all um, unicorns and rainbows. There was a lot of problems, a lot of hiccups. And my daughter could have used a more controlling parent. Hmm. So the thing is, is each child is different. Right. And my daughter is very, lives in the land, what I call the land of should. She thinks that everything should be a certain way and she needs barriers. And because she did not have those, it was very difficult for her. It's more about understanding your child and then being the parent that they need you to be. Okay. Which is what you need to do as a leader in an office with a team. You have to understand each member of the team, what they need and provide and be that leader for them. And you may be one way with Joe and another way with Sue and another way with John. But if you do it right, none of them feel like there's favoritism, perceived favoritism or, you know, anything like that, because they're getting what they need from you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a coaching approach. I like it. That's, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm only new to the world of coaching because I was a consultant for a long time. And then I did this thing, which I think is kind of in the middle, which is mentoring. And now I'm moving towards the coaching end of the spectrum. So like I see consulting as more directive, you know, here's what you need to do, take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. uh, mentoring is a bit more armor in the shoulder. And then I think that coaching, uh, like mentoring, you're still helping people very directly. And then coaching, I think is, is a lot more particular, you know, in, in maybe less of the business side of things, but in particular in, in the kind of the, the life coaching end of the spectrum, it's more about helping people to find the answer within themselves. Mm -hmm. and that type of leadership and so I think I'm still kind of like uh, you know on the mentoring side of that spectrum but I'm, I'm trying to move and I'm trying to become a better coach trying to help people uh, find the answers in themselves but then sometimes you know with with some of the business stuff like sometimes there is like there's a clear answer and sometimes you just need to say hey this is the answer I'm, I'm not going to like lead you around the world I'm just going to tell you here's what I think you should do you know and, and this is why you know and, and let's let, let's see if that's a good fit you know. But what I think is so great about that is that a client can come to you and whether or not they need coaching, mentorship, or 
consulting, you're able to help them based on their need. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to have to figure out, okay, which box, you're not putting them in a box and telling them they have to behave a certain way because you're a coach. And a lot mm-hmm. of coaches do this. They're like, I'm the guide. I will guide you through this. And yet the person just needs to be told what to do. Yeah. That's- yeah. I think I think that's the thing that frustrates me. It's like, no, like, l- let's just tell them what they need to do here. Because, you know, sometimes there's a very clear answer. And, and sometimes and like, that's all people want. Sometimes yeah. people want someone else to make the decision so that they can feel okay. They really got a way out. If mm-hmm. it goes good, it was their decision. If it goes bad, well, he told me to do it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's where the consultant comes in. You know, the consultant can be the fall guy. You know, there's, mm. there is a great advantage in that. And that's, that's one of the nice things about being a consultant is, you know, you know, in, in, in some ways, if you're brought in to work on something that you're going to be the fall guy for whatever it is. And, you know, that's the way it's going to be. So, you know, that's okay. That's like, your job is to go in, make the decisions, give, give them your recommendations and then let them implement and blame you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm just accepting the fact that I'm a coach a natural, I'm just a natural coach. I, to me, when someone said, well, you're a coach, I'm like, well, no, this is me. This is how I am with people. Friends would call me up and I would ask them questions and help them make decisions. That's friendship, mm. in my opinion. It's yeah. friendship. Well, and now we have to pay. I resisted, <laughs> personally, I resisted that, that label of business coach or, or just coach in general yeah, because there's a kind of a, a stigma that goes with it of, you know, mm. oh, geez, not another business coach or not another life coach or all that kind of stuff. Now, I don't do life coaching. Um, but, you know, like I, I, I remember... Uh, seeing a really, really smart life coach who was 22 years old and she was brilliant. But I know there was a lot of cynicism about how can you be a life coach in 22 years old? Like, like that's, it's, it's yeah, a very, no, like, you can't really be a life coach at 22, no matter yeah. how smart you are. Like mm. I am smart. Anyone that really knows me will tell you that I am smart. And there is no way at the age of 22 that I could help people with as a life coach. Now I could help people that were my friends kind of with that were doing the same things, or I was just a little bit more ahead than they Mm -hmm. were. Yes. So if she's 22 and she's trying to coach people who are 30, 35, 40, yeah, she can't, there's a disconnect because she hasn't experienced life yet. So there's no trust. There's no credibility. But if she's 22, back back to trusting credibility, right? (laughs) Right. But if she's 22 and her target audience is anyone who's 20, 18 to 20 and helping Mm -hmm. them make the decision about which college to go to, which boyfriend or girlfriend to have, which uh, job to get. Yes, she can help them. Yeah, she's been there and she's done that. She does have some experience. Mm -hmm. Now, now, by the way, let's let's go back like. You, you have brought your, your kids up in a very specific way. I, I bet you that they would make a really good 22-year-old life coach based on the way that, you know, they, they've grown up. And, my and son, so, yes. So my there's, yes. there's going to be standout individuals who are particularly suited to something like that, just, you know, irrespective of age, you know, and that's, I think that's, that's, the, that's, that's the thing. Like, and I think it's a marketing issue as well. If you call yourself a 22, if you call yourself a life coach, then that's going to be really different, difficult. Yep. But if you, you, if you call yourself story. maybe something, if you call yourself something like a decision coach, 
And, and this was what she was particularly good at, was helping people logically analyze decisions. And that was her strength. Then and that's, that's and, and she, she could said. she she could help a 60-year-old or a 40-year-old just as well as 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 somebody younger than her. But if there was a logical decision to be made and it was around analyzing all the options and she was using um Kepner Trago analytical troubleshooting type methods and you know her 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 approach was, was really really good because I remember talking to her and like just being blown away um and yeah so it, 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 it's it's a marketing it's a perception thing as well you know and packaging. so I think the labels the labels that we use are really important there as well packaging what you're talking about is packaging if she had packaged herself yeah as saying, I help people make difficult decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, difficult decisions in a logical, analytical way yeah. to make the best decision in difficult circumstances. Yeah. And I guess that goes back to your brand storytelling thing, you know. <laughs> it's about knowing what you want to be known for and knowing yeah. what, in going back to your specialization as well. Mm -hmm. If she had yeah. specialized in that one thing that she was good at, that she was really good at to stand out. But I mean, the easy sale for her would have been to sell to parents for her to help their their kid, their young adult yeah. children. Yeah. That and and that's been... that's an interesting, that's an interesting point because sometimes it's easier to sell to the people who we don't really intend to sell to. And well, they're also know, the ones so, paying the bill. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, is it a hobby or is it a business? And if it's not a hobby, then we need revenue. And oh yeah, the, I know. This is a, my whole thing is a, is a hobby. I, I, yeah. I have a full time hobby right now. <laughs> yeah, revenue is important. Ultimately, un unless you you know you win the lottery or or you've you've got the right the right lineage, the right parents. Um, ultimately, you have to start working on your revenue at some point. You know, that's where it gets really interesting. I'm lucky. My living expenses are under three thousand dollars a month. Mm -hmm. That, that that surely helps a lot. <laughs> it does. I can get yeah. by on $2,500. Yeah. And I do have savings from the sale of the house when I got divorced. And no, my parents are too young. My parents yeah. are, you know, <laughs> by the time they kick the bucket, I'll have one foot in the grave. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So right now we have learned a ton about you. We've learned about your coaching. We've learned about your your specialization. We've learned about your ability to consult and what you think of certain things. So let's quickly get back to the brand, your yeah, brand. Sure. What is the one thing that you see out there that people are getting wrong in their brand stories? In their brand story? Hmm. When they're telling I, I, their brand story, what are they doing wrong in order to not be seen? Oh, in order to not be seen, they're talking about themselves. They're not talking about their their customers and their their clients. They're not talking about their clients' problems, and that's that's the biggest problem that I I see all the time, particularly in the world of professional services. I think that companies are worse than individuals. Independent consultants aren't so bad at it, um, but the the larger consultancies and even even boutique firms, five, 10 people. It's always about, we have the best people. We have the best frameworks, the best processes. We, uh, we do this, we do that, you know, award-winning, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's always about us. And it's never like, you know, um, we focus on helping you get this result. We help, we help you fix this problem. We help you solve this problem. So you can, you can do this. And it's all about helping improve your life and improving your business. They don't you, focus on that part. You is the word 
that should be mm. in your copywriting. 100%. When it comes to telling a brand story, this is the one time that writing in the second person makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's a, a friend of mine, he says um, they have wee wee all over their site. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I think it's brilliant. But I, I find that a lot of times when I'm talking to people, they're scared to do something different because they're scared that if they don't say we do this, 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 and this, people aren't going to choose them. And they're even scared to try something new. Yeah. Well, there's two things there because one is you just triggered my specialization um, detector because if you say we do XYZ, 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 I don't know if which, which, which you guys use. Um, but if, if you say we do all of these different things, that's going to reduce the trust in you. Like if you went to a restaurant and they had, you know, we do pizza and we do um, French cuisine and we do Indian takeaway, you know, and we do and like, they have all of these different things that they do and they're all from different areas. Like they've got a hundred things on the menu. Like you're not going to trust that, that that restaurant is really great. If they say we only do French cuisine and there's six things you can order and that's the entire menu, you know, that's going to be really good. Like you yeah. instinctively know because they have to be really good to do that. It's the same with consultants. Consultants are really, really smart people and they can address a lot of different problems. The, the thing is, if you want to stand out, you have to lead with one thing. And so what are you leading with? It doesn't mean you can't, you, you don't do all of the other things, mm -hmm. but you have to lead with one thing. So what is that? Well, the other thing is, is it helps people make a decision about which to choose. Because I don't know about you, we have skip the dishes or Uber feet eats and you're hungry you're not mm -hmm. really sure what you want to eat but you're hungry and you sk scroll through the thing to get the delivery and by the time you're, it's like an hour later and you still haven't decided what you want <laughs> right yeah so you grab a protein bar and a cup of coffee and away you go <laughs> no i couldn't do that <laughs> oh. i love my food too much <laughs> I'm too much of a foodie to ever do oh, that. I, I, like to the, my, I like the idea. <laughs> welcome to my weekend diet when I was working on all this stuff. My point is, is that if you are the French cuisine person and that person, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like French cuisine, this people do French cuisine. I'm going to go for French cuisine. You're known for it. Yeah. It's top of mind. McDonald's is known for burgers, mm. a certain type of crappy burger. Yeah. And consistency. That's right. So and, I know the, that I want to eat a cardboard burger with yeah. with slathered with this sauce because I'm having a Big Mac attack like you know all teens do. <laughs> uh, you go down and that's where you go. That's what you think yeah. of first. You don't think of Burger King first or Dairy Queen first. You think of McDonald's first when you want fast a fast burger. Yeah, and and I'm really impressed. Like their goal is to serve every customer within sixty seconds. They quite often achieve that goal. That's really really impressive. I do really admire the their systems and processes and that's one thing that we as independents can take workflow systems and processes um, and bring that that kind of attention to detail because and that's the great thing about specialization because when you're focusing on on only a couple of problems then you can create these consistent repeatable workflows and so that's why specialization mcdonald's are you know on the on, on the, the same line it's a specialization key. That is key. And I really need to reevaluate. And one of these days I might actually do that. And now I'm wondering where can people find you if they want more information about how to specialize, how to tell a brand story and how to get noticed in the marketplace. Yeah. So if, if you want to learn, if you want to learn more, if you want to find tools 
and I've got a lot of free tools available. So I have a podcast called The Recognized Authority. And so if you look that up, if you're listening to this podcast, just put The Recognized Authority in and, and you'll find it. Or you can go check out therecognizedauthority.com. And no matter how you spell it, you'll get there. Perfect. So that's it. Thank you, Alistair, for talking to us today and sharing your expertise and knowledge. Oh, it's, it's been my pleasure. This has been a great chat. Thank you for having me on, on the show. Listener, I hope that you learned something today in this conversation with Alistair about how you can tell your brand story to the marketplace and get your brand noticed by the right audience. If the importance of the word you instead of we in your copywriting is very important. Now, it doesn't mean that you are always talking about you as in the customer or the problem. It means that for the a good portion of your content. You are talking about the problems that you solve and you're using you language. And you mix that in with posts about we and the we do this and we do that and we won this award and the credibility for your brand. It is a balance. It is weaving the stories of your brand together to tell a bigger brand story that is the key to successful brand storytelling. If you need some help or you want to chat or find out about how you can tell your brand story, please drop into marketappeal.com, click on the membership button, it's right underneath that leather journal, and become a Market Appeal member. It's free of charge. You will get a lot of information as well as the opportunity to have coaching calls with myself and along with other members of the community as we work together to define our brand stories and tell them to the marketplace. Once again, please do drop by marketappeal.com and it's that members button right under the leather journal. Now, while you're there, drop into the community and join the Brand Appeal group. Let me know what you think of Brand Appeal, any questions that you have, or any guests that you would like to see back. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you are listening on Apple or you have a Podchaser profile, please give me a few stars, one or two. Uh, Let me know how I am doing and share this podcast with your friends because they are also trying to get their stories out into the marketplace for a better, more appealing life, career, or business. Until next time, peel out.